Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. And I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing True Detective Season 1. Damask Leary, how are we today? Good. I've got a heat pack on my ovaries because I'm a bit sore in that region. But other than that... Tip top, mate. Tip top. How I, are you? I sympathise. I cannot empathise. No, that's all you can do. And these I appreciate are lady problems, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. therefore I am excluded. Yep, from or this. trans man problems, or whatever. Or trans man problems. Yep. That is true. I mm-hmm. uh, don't mean to discriminate. I'm no, good. Yeah, I'm good. good. Had a nice day off work. I'm looking forward to the storm coming through. If you do hear a bit mm. of rain and lightning and thunder in the background, yeah, uh, that'll be why. We now have special effects on this show. <laughs> it will go like if it hits right as we hit mm. the true detective part mm-hmm. of this, it will actually be quite yeah. atmospheric. And, and we'll start speaking with Louisiana <laughs> accent. I'll just start mumbling, so I have to pretend subtitles are. <laughs> 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 Good. The world sucks. I don't think we have any Louisiana audiences. I don't got a couple in. If we did, we don't anymore. Ohio, I think Iowa, New York, California. I don't think we've hit Louisiana yet. If uh, if we had a Matthew McConaughey listener, we've lost him too. That's true. Oh, I wish. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Is he is is Matthew McConaughey attractive? Is he a handsome man? I think so. I think so too. Yeah. It's really interesting in True Detective because he sort of is and then he gets that like moustache and the long hair. I mean, that's disgusting. It's disgusting. (laughs) No, I think he's a traditionally attractive man. I don't like his surfer attitude. Sure. All right. I find that skeezy. Sure. His robot walk. I'm looking forward to talking about Cole's robot walk. Okay. Anyway, let's get into the episode. Off topic, hot topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment. We get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you would like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com, tweeting us at huntingscast, or finding us on Instagram at huntingseasonspodcast. I got no news in fuller for you this week, except to say that there are rumours or hope floating around that maybe Hannibal might find a home somewhere. Maybe Hannibal could get a revival still. Hasn't it been gone for ages? It's been a few years now, but I know hope springs eternal for Hannibal fans. And um, I don't know, Mad Mickelson is sort of saying some things that suggest that people are in talks or at least 
mm. are continuing to try to find a new home. I'm just shocked that people still care. Okay. People right. loved that show. I didn't realise that was a thing. If it ever comes back, I pr- don't promise, but I think we should probably, that'd be a good one to do for the podcast uh, as well. Okay. Or not. I hate horror. That's a no then. No, we will do it. I'll just complain the whole time. <laughs> it makes for good podcasts. Uh, some headlines for you. Just some quick sort of things that have happened this week. Sex Education, uh, the new Netflix series about sort of high school set high schoolers and sex. sex. Uh, have you watched any of that yet? No. I've watched the pilot so far. Mm. Quite good. I would like to get to that one day, maybe when season two comes, because mm-hmm. it has been renewed for Yay. a second season. I don't know what that will show up. Probably now, next year sometime. I've got confusion. Is it a British production or an American production? I believe it's a British... Well, oh. it's, it's it's in the UK. It's a British production. Okay. Um, as far as I can tell. So it's it like feels British Netflix. British. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Like how Australian Netflix yeah, yeah. makes stuff like Tidelands. Okay. I just wasn't no sure because there was... Because, yeah... Gillian Anderson was in it and stuff, but I suppose she does quite a lot of British. She's stuff, been doing she? more and more stuff with it, British stuff. Mm. Yeah, she is American, right? I get she really confused. Is, but she does a heap of British stuff. I'm pretty sure. Yep, yep, she does. It's like uh, Sandra O oh doing um, Killing Eve. That's mm. British, anyway. Uh, Supernatural has been renewed renewed for its fifteenth season. Good, because like they've really got a lot more story to tell. People, people are watching it. Obviously, yeah. got to fifteenth seasons. Otherwise, it's some weird tax scam, and it, I don't know mm. how it's still in the air. Then again, people are watching NCIS. Doesn't mean they're telling anything of value. That's no, I, true. I can't judge. I haven't watched it. Maybe it's amazing. I would. I, I yeah. It was one of those. All shows I know you- is that like. They're not great with their female characters, except for oh. um, Felicity, the nerd redhead. Felicity, oh, um, Felicia Day. Felicia Day, thank yeah. you. I'm sorry, Felicia Day. I do actually really love all of your work. Um, apparently, her character's good in it. Oh, cool. She's like, a, I think she plays a lesbian. But any kind of heterosexual woman in that show would either murdered or just disappears, I'm pretty sure. Right. Uh, Modern Family's next season, which will be its 11th season, will be its last Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atlanta's third season has been delayed at FX. Um, according to the Hollywood Reporter, writers are working on it now, but it won't arrive till 2020. Honestly, I'm not that surprised by that. I got the feeling at the end of the last season that maybe there'd be a bit of a. I think there was a bit of a delay between season one and two, actually. Yeah, and I also took a couple I've, of years. I've never had the expectation of this show that it's going to come out at regular like, like intervals. Annual. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I'm okay with that. Not not necessarily heap heap of news there. However, on the FX train, mm, at long choo-choo. last. Mm-hmm. There's been an official order for a Why the Last Man adaptation adaptation to series. Now, this isn't the first time I brought up Why the Last Man. This is the um, Brian K. Fawn comic book. or Brought is fully erect right now, mm-hmm. is he speaking? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, comic book series from mid-2000 sort of era. Uh, my favourite graphic novel slash comic book series by far. I've been wanting it. It's been talked about getting turned into productions for a long time. There were movies for a while. I even read a script at one stage for a movie that was floating around. That got canned. Then it was going to be turned into a TV series mainly, maybe. And finally, FX ordered a pilot last year. That's been in production. They must be happy enough with it because they're turning it into a series. And I'm very, very happy about this. Uh, It is not expected to arrive until next year, which is not a real surprise. But I, I'm really excited for the Yay. potential of this show. I'm really excited for you. I would love you to read the comics. I have all of them. How many are there? There are ten sort of individual graphic novels. Mm-hmm. So there's about I think there's seventy issues, individual comics all up. Right. Seven, like that's like if like if the you, tiny ones, the yeah. tiny ones, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're split up into sort of these ten chapters quite well. Okay. Um, it's not it's not a hugely long read. It would take me like a day to read or less. It would take you, I reckon if you were reading one or two of them, yeah, you could do it in a week. 
pretty a easily. Week? All right, I'll yeah. do that. Sure. Happily, or happily throw them your way. Mm-hmm. Um, really great. I'm looking forward to as well. This is going to be really interesting because this is for people who don't know. The story is about uh, an event happens that wipes out every male mammal on the planet except for one human named Yorick and his pet monkey Ampersand. Which, on the face of it, sounds bad when they're your main characters, when the the, the males are the central characters in a completely woman-driven or female world. Mm-hmm. That sounds problematic, but I'd say give it a chance because I think the story is really mm. great because he is 100%. It is a question about what society looks like when every man on earth disappears all of a Heaven. sudden or dies. And it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's going to mean, just think about this, how many roles there will be for women that come out of this show and i'm not even just talking like talking like talking extra or, or talking mains or lead actors or guest stars extras it, it has to be completely women driven mm-hmm. it's gonna be so interesting yeah uh, what's the creative team look like so this comes from the av club article about this exact sort of story that we're talking about now mm. michael green who recently cut ties with stars american gods will serve as showrunner um with ada mash Arca, a veteran writer for Netflix's Marvel offerings. Um, Vaughn, uh, Brian K. Vaughn, meanwhile, will serve as executive producer. He's the original writer of the comic books. As previously reported, Melina Matsukis will flex the skills she honed helming Beyonce videos and episodes of Insecure as the pilot's director. Mm, cool. So there, there, are there definitely, are ladies there involved. Are, oh, there are definitely women involved, and I would that's imagine good. that's going to extend. I can't confirm anything. Mm. I'd be pretty disappointed if that wasn't yeah. true. I mean, it sounds extent. so good so far. I was expecting just the list of men, so that's quite good. No, no, and that would be such – that would be a bad idea. I mean, it's, it is interesting because it is, it's a series that's written by a man, mm. sh- absolutely, Brian K. Vaughan. But um, like, I, I would love you to read them because I'd love your opinion on this, mm-hmm. right? I don't – haven't had a lot of people except male friends of mine mainly read this. Mm. The general reception of the comic book seems to be that's pretty great from all all sort of walks of life. But I would be very very interested to see what you think of it. And now's cool. the time get you know have a read of it. Yeah. Get ready for the series when it comes Marinate out. Marinate on it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something else I just want to go by with you. Their Super Bowl happened. It did because we we love our American football. I mean, I. I didn't this year, but I generally watch Super Bowl. Every we have year. had Super Bowl parties we in the have. past when we could make Mondays I'm, work because it's yeah. Monday here when, it, when it's yeah. on. Yeah, just a lot of American, disgusting American snacks, hot wings and, and Twizzlers, Twizzlers and, and Dr Pepper and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we I actually, do love a root beer though. Oh, come around on those. Tell you that much. Uh, we do generally like to watch the Super Bowl. We're it's able to do very it this year. Fun. Uh, it sounds like it was a pretty boring game in the end. Oh, that's a shame. It's a shame about the Patriots winning again as well. But anyway, uh, but there were always, as always with the Super Bowl, there were commercials and trailers mm. and stuff that come out. So let's go through a few of the choice ones that were had. Yes. There was a Bud Light and Game of Thrones Super Bowl commercial, mm-hmm. which was sort of just started like out as a Bud Light commercial yeah. and then turned into a Game of Thrones yeah. teaser somehow. I'll be honest. It made me laugh at the absurdity of it. The mount- Because it was just a straight up Bud Light commercial. I'm like, this is dumb. And then it became so serious. Yes. And, it was, and like all these people... Running, like seriously running for their lives, holding Bud Light. It made me giggle. Uh, the Handmaid's Tale had a season three teaser. What did you think of that? It was awful. It was so boring. Awful. Fucking, la- it's the Super Bowl. You bring your best marketing you possibly can. So when it started, it was like a fake ad thingy or whatever. Like a, it was almost like a, a fake sort of um, like a propaganda PSA thing. or propaganda or whatever. For Gilead, yeah. And then it just cuts out and is just like a normal ad. I'm like, boo. Like commit to the idea, guys. Sure. You know? 
Yeah, that would have been just to commit to it would have been a good yeah. idea. The Twilight Zone had a Super Bowl promo as well. I really enjoyed that. So this is the Jordan Peele hosted New Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. which I'm really amped for. I'm looking forward to watching yeah. that when it starts in April. I felt like um, Jordan Peele was channeling, fuck, I've got his name, Spock's name in real life. Uh, Len Nimoy. Him and Neil deGrasse Tyson fused together as he was narrating <laughs> yeah. that. And I was like, sure. oh, I'm down for that. Uh, Avengers Endgame had a big game TV spot. I'm so excited, Brod. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Captain Marvel had a big game TV spot as well. Mm-hmm, she did. Uh, and finally, there was a Toy Story 4 big game ad. So, with all that in mind, how do you feel about this year's selection of... So, it gets talked up a lot, the idea mm. of like Super Bowl ads and trailers and stuff. This is a time for some, you know, big sort of ads and and trailers to get out there. Did you like them? Did you find them underwhelming? I mean, a bit boring, wasn't it? I mean, I'm just like a lot of those ads or trailers I just liked because I'm interested already in what's happening. Sure. But didn't feel special to the Super Bowl. I guess the Twilight Zone one did. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Um, yeah, none of it really seemed very special, which is what I associate Super Bowl ads with. Yeah, it seemed lackluster compared to mm. previous years. Even I think back to last year where we had a Cloverfield Paradox, whatever it's called. Oh, it's awful. Trailer. Yeah, I, but they just went, here's mm. a trailer for this par- this Cloverfield fil- film you didn't know was coming. Oh, it's out tonight on Netflix. Yeah, that's like, exciting. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What a cool way to use that platform. Um, but I, what I would do is I'd direct people to this article um, from the patron saint of TV podcasting, Joanna Robinson at Vanity Fair oh, called, man. is this why the 2019 Super Bowl trailers were so disappointing? It's just an article that talks about like the controversies with um, Colin Kaepernick, sort of the kneeling during the national anthem, the mm-hmm. conversation that started around the NFL. There's been a lot of attacks on the sport from like Donald Trump, for instance. So theoretically viewership's down as well. So maybe not worth putting big promo stuff up there anymore. Mm. The ratings have theoretically gone down as well. So And then so the cost of them doesn't necessarily make sense. Do you think the viewership is down from both sides? Like Possibly. Some people are like, oh, you know, there's just a bunch of like left wings kneeling. Boo, they should be chucked out. And also left wing people being like, the NFL is racist. And particularly when the Patriots are playing as well. Like, I don't think Tom Brady is necessarily loved. I think he's loved as a footballer, but not necessarily mm. loved for his politics. I think he's right. more of a MAGA hat wearing type guy. You he's know. a good Southern boy. Is he? Yeah, mm. sort of thing. So I think like even that side of things can be maybe turning people off. Um, and then the, the thing that Joanna proposes here, which I think I agree with as well, is so many of these shows or movies are trying to keep secrets. So mm. in terms of what they can, like <laughs> Game of Thrones, their ad, their their trailer, whatever you want to call it, was just really a Bud Light ad with a mountain in it. Like and yeah. a dragon. They didn't they didn't show any footage because they don't want to show footage. They just want to make you aware of it. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to cat like to uh glom onto as a viewer except yeah. going, oh that's right, Game of Thrones. It's also with it something like things as big as you know, Game of Thrones uh, and Avengers and stuff. It's like I think people are already aware of you. You probably don't need to spend like a couple mil on an ad. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I'm it. sure like a lot of people. Just I mean, marketing these days is just different anyway. Yeah, we don't necessarily need to be watching live TV mm. to get people's attention anymore. Yeah. When you have YouTube and Twitter and like people get this sort of information via social media. Um, <laughs> speaking, oh, that reminds me. There's a text getting around. Just a little off topic, Australian politics for a second. Clive Palmer, who's a controversial political figure in Australia, mm. has been texting 
constituents, especially around Melbourne He's recently. He's texted both of my housemates and I'm still yet to receive I, one. I haven't got I one feel really upset about it. Yeah, I feel excluded. Hmm. But what he was texting really recently was a thing saying, make sure you're watching said station at this time for like uh, an announcement. And everyone's like, why don't you just link to a YouTube video, dude? Like, why do you want? Why do you need people to tune into television when you could just send a link to a video? Listen that you want to, to the see? wireless at the break <laughs> of dawn, where the crew cries. But maybe that says who he, who his target demographic is, anyway. But yeah, that's just. Um, like, is that target demographic reading text messages? See, this, this is why it doesn't make sense. This is why he's yeah. This is why he can't ever be then a leader. Again, my ninety-six-year-old grandma text message. So there you go. Knows. Now my grandma just tried to friend request me on uh, Facebook recently, which Ooh, I have no. ignored. I'm a terrible <laughs> grandson. <laughs> Damask, what do you have for off topic? Off topic. So I'm still recovering from that shocking news. <laughs> I have a r- r- reality check. R- r- reality check. Great. Gosh, <laughs> we, we need to add like fart sounds and noise and stuff. Just become like really become FM radio DJs. <laughs> like really work our way oh, into that. Oh, but we need mold. those stupid nicknames. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big Dizzle. D- d- Damascal. No, Big Dizzle. Big Dizzle. Damasky. And bro to the G. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So in the latest episode of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, a tragedy hits. Now, this seems to be a trend for this iteration of the Runiverse. I think I just penned that term myself. The Runiverse. <laughs> in which an All-Star who is on their track to become a legendary and take the crown is eliminated by a short-sighted queen. Manila Luzon has been slaying this season, whether it be in the challenges on the runway or in her comments on social media as the season unfolds. It's also a shame that she was eliminated while being judged alongside Latrice Royale. I'm sorry, I do like Latrice. I enjoy a lot about her, but damn, how many times does a bitch have to be eliminated before both she and everyone else realises that she shouldn't be there? It's not quite as tragic as what happened to Shangela. I will forever be upset about that, but, you know, who cares, really? That sexy mama went on to be in A Star Is Born, which is amazing. Anyway, RIP Manila, the competition means a lot less without your fierceness. I'm not someone who follows RuPaul at all or just reality TV really Mm -hmm. much at all, unless it's Love Island Australia, apparently. (laughs) And um, even I noticed there was a lot of outrage this week about RuPaul. Yeah. Like, a lot of people just going... What the fuck is up with this season? And Ridiculous. The rules are broken, and this is just totally pointless now. Well, the wall, the rules weren't broken. I just think people just seem to think that it's it's something's wrong. It's annoying with it. that this has happened like the second year in a row of mm. All Stars. It's such like I I don't think the elimination system works in All Stars. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is what is different about the elimination system? So in a, a typical normal RuPaul's Drag Race season, you mm. will the two peop, two women on the bottom, two queens on the bottom, yeah. have to limp sync for their lives, yeah. and then the judges or Ru really decides who goes home, depending on who sucked in the lip sync. In an All Stars episode, the two like the top two do a lip sync. RuPaul decides who was better out of the lip sync, and the person who wins. Chooses who leaves. Oh whoa! Yeah, That's so dumb. and a, yeah, and a lot of times it's about like friendships or like who saved you before or all this alliances. Bullshit. This is survivable shit. Yeah, it's crap because you see these women who are like amazing artists and like fucking killing it, 
leaving and it's incredibly frustrating because then you're just left with boring bitches That's who aren't problem, doing right? anything. It's like I understand strategically that makes sense to mm. get eliminate your competition, but doesn't that make for a less interesting show if the good ones are leaving early? Yes, it does. Um, yeah, so that's where the dumb. outrage is coming from. Gotcha. And I have another r- r- reality check. Reality check time two. <laughs> uh, I'm losing our minds. <laughs> We're not even drinking tonight. It's <laughs> no, interesting. No. Um, all right. So this is Real Housewives of New Jersey. <laughs> of New Jersey's fuck. New Jersey. Uh, of New Jersey are back, baby. And I don't mean just this season. I mean that um, the greatness. Oh. The greatness of this series is back. No longer do we have season after season of boring family drama but between Teresa, Joe Gorga, and Melissa. It was fucking boring because Teresa was always wrong and it was fucking infuriating. And now we have the absolutely gorgeous, magnificent unicorn beast of Margaret. Yes, she is a bringing the She's fire. Margaret really doesn't stand out name-wise compared to the others. Oh. That's thing. She, she doesn't need a name. <laughs> she is the personality. Oh, God. She's bringing the fire, the rational arguments, and the fucking zingers that leave the less than bright castmates unsure of what to do with their agape jaws. She is fucking amazing. I am living for it. I want Margaret there forever. Cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I got a couple more things, not news related, just things I've been watching. Um, I saw the favourite over the weekend. Finally. Which you finally talked about last week. Um, and it was excellent. I really yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. Because um, I haven't seen a lot of that director who's now forgotten all of a sudden's work except for The Lobster, mm-hmm. which I think we talked about last time. I. Yeah, I don't love, but like there are parts of that that just rub me the wrong way. But generally, I thought it was an interesting movie. I sort of like, meh, it. This is so much more approachable, but still has that weirdness, that dark sort of sense of humor to it. And boy, is it funny. Mm-hmm. It is it's such hilarious. a funny movie. Yeah. But like you, we had the same scenario where we had like a maybe <laughs> a one quarter full cinema mm. and mainly older Old people. people. Yeah. And I was cackling mm-hmm. a lot of the time and like could just nobody else in the cinema yeah. seemed to be enjoying it at all. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Uh, you're right about that last shot as well. Like that it is sticks with you, doesn't quite it? Quite a way to finish the film. Yeah. And really like what has been quite a funny film brings it down to a, just a bit of a, like a traumatic level for a moment. Yeah. Really ends in a very interesting place. Performances are fantastic all the way through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm really glad all three women, Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, have all been nominated for Oscars. Mm-hmm. I hope this does well at the Oscars. I still need to see the rest of the Best Picture nominated films. Mm. Um, but I would be happily rooting for this one at this yeah. point. It's great. Really, oh, really that's good. something I've watched. Yeah. Speaking of Oscars, I finally got around to watching A Star Is Born. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. What do you think? Didn't care for it. It's yeah, it's definitely a film that seems to be either is your cup of tea or yeah. the not character much at all. of Ali is not a fucking character. Oh, she's. I ask anyone who is she, who is she, other than just being a kind person. She ain't nothing. It's it's oh, yeah. I kept waiting for it to get there. It did not. Mm. Not a fan. That is a shame. Mm. Uh, I've also finished Kingdom Hearts last night. I hit credits. <gasps> Kingdom Hearts 3. Woohoo, bro. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll <laughs> let me on dialogue options so I can talk about it. Not uh, here. Kyron, Joel, if you're listening, please put me on. Let's. <laughs> I need to talk to somebody about this. Yeah, no. The last five hours of that game, I need to talk to somebody about it. I hit, we had 13 No one cares, game. bro. All right. 
<laughs> Let's get to our spoiler-free review of True Detective Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. True Detective is an American anthology crime drama television series created by Nick Pizzolotto, which premiered on HBO on January 12th, 2014. Each season is its own standalone story, with season one constructed as a non-linear narrative focusing on Louisiana State Police homicide detectives Rustin Russ Cole and Martin Marty Hart, who investigated the murder of prostitute Dora Lang in 1995. Every episode of season one is directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who has since gone on to direct Netflix series Maniac, which we reviewed last year, and is directing the next James Bond film. Mm. This season stars Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson as Rust and Marty, respectively, and are supported by performances by Michael Potts, Tori Kittles, and Michelle Monaghan as Marty's wife, Maggie. Season one consists of eight episodes each coming in at around 57 minutes and took us approximately 7 hours and 35 minutes to watch. This Mm. season was nominated for five primetime Emmys, including Outstanding Drama Series, Lead Actor in a Drama Series, both McConaughey and Harrelson were nominated, and Writing for a Drama drama Series, and one Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series. Mm -hmm. So, why are we uh, reviewing True Detective Season 1, Damas? Because Season 3 is happening. It is, Mm -hmm. yes. And we... Are both fans of this season of the show, aren't we? We watched we it. We are. It... We watched it when we lived together. Yeah. So I remember living together and with a couple of other housemates, and it was one of those things where I no one really, I don't think anyone necessarily anticipated this show in a big way. Mm. But once it started, sort of the internet caught it was fire. Like, are you watching this? Are you watching this? Yeah. Are you watching this? And then we were able to catch up mm-hmm. and basically start watching it live because yep. I remember watching the finale i think we actually did it in like two little groups but we, we did all yeah. sort of watched it and were like talking about as it happened and it mm-hmm. was cool to watch at the time uh so since this is our revisit our second time through could you please give us your spoiler free review of true detective season one i certainly can look does any of it matter do we matter does the simple thought of wondering whether we matter matter <laughs> time is a flat circle <laughs> This show is the crashing together of two ideas, the unwavering strength of traditional and toxic masculinity against the frailty of humanity. How can beings that suffer consciousness who understand the feeble nature of life still stand tall in the conviction that they somehow matter? It's these ideas that are explored in True Detective and they are explored in depth and under a yellow-stained microscopic lens. We have the foundation of a whodunit crime story that allows us to meet two very different men. They're each an anti-hero in an intriguing way. These characters are an exploration of masculinity and of the legacy of fathers through two very, 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 very different people, both as fascinating and concerning as the other. The two actors play off one another wonderfully and they are an absolute delight to watch. Now, look, I might have rolled my eyes at some of the poetic monologues in Haunting at Hill House or on Hill House, whatever the fuck mm-hmm. it was called. Haunting How- of Hill House, yep. Sure. The poetic and philosophical comments made by Matthew McConaughey, however, are perfection. This is like how you nail that stuff, is in like this kind of Southern Gothic space performed by someone who is a master at it. It's the, yeah, It all comes down to the... The genre and the style of the show, Mm -hmm. like it fits what it's trying to do. This is a trope of that Mm -hmm. Southern Gothic or just noir detective stuff at all. 
there's no real... Yeah. And everything you're saying is feeding character, which is wonderful, which is like what is happening with, through most of this show is every little element is feeding character, which I... It's also not, like, it's not ignored. Like the way he is talking, Marty is commenting on going, fuck, you're weird. Mm-hmm. And like, so they're establishing that this guy is like this, but that doesn't mean people just sit around going, well, oh, that's normal. It's the perfect entry is yeah. that because I think these like comments and little philosophical moments that he have has are equally strong whether they're played for comedic yeah. reasons or for a dramatic force. Mm-hmm. Like it's so well balanced. And yeah, he and Marty, like fuck what's his name? Rust and Marty, like play off each other so well. Mm-hmm. And this show has received criticism of its depictions of women, but I think that's a considered choice. Yes. In this show. These men I have agree. been crafted into being into being by a toxic patriarchal society mm-hmm. and the women suffer. Mm-hmm. And it's an exploration of monsters. And a part of that is the monsters created within men themselves yep. by the patriarchy. Um, and these two characters are themselves a different personification of the darkness in men, mm-hmm. which is really quite interesting. The setting of Louisiana is captivating and haunting. The mystery is intriguing and unnerving. Everything works here. It really does. This show is so very, very good. Very nice. What about you, Brad? So, as I said earlier, I do remember loving it, this show, this season, the first time I watched it when we did back in the day. And even though I had picked this up on Blu-ray, I haven't actually watched it before now, Rewatched mm. it before now. Um, overall, I'm a really big fan of this season of TV. Firstly, it's style. The desaturated landscapes of the American South paint a bleak picture that sets a perfect Southern Gothic mood. Mm-hmm. The vibe in the audio as well can be so intense and sort of suffocating. There's thumping, humming, background bass noise that exists, just this this unsettling rumble mm-hmm. that so often exists, often around uh, Cole in particular, sometimes because he's drug affected, um, but just that atmosphere of dread and discomfort throughout the entire season is pitch pure perfect. Pure unease. Oh, pure mm-hmm. unease. That's a beautiful way of putting it. The writing is perfectly noir, which can feel a bit on the nose if you're not on board for it, as you were saying. But I generally found it to be pitch perfect and suits the tone and themes of the show as it, that the show explores. These themes of bad men in a bad, bad world and the dialogue are brought to life by excellent performances from McConaughey and Harrelson. Uh, the first time through, it was McConaughey's performance that stood out to me the most mm. as the intense but captivating Russ Cole. But on the second viewing, I gained a huge appreciation for Harrelson's performance mm. as the emotionally repressed fuck-up Marty. These two male leads are... Elevated by an equally impressive performance, I think, by from Michelle Monaghan. This is a story about men, but in the large part, it's about men's relationship and power struggle with women. And while Maggie isn't the main focus, her role in the story is so, so vital. And so I really think um, Michelle Monaghan lives up to that task really well. And you were talking about, like, yeah, there's a lot of criticism about the way that women are treated, but I do believe that's the point. Like, it is a considered choice. Mm-hmm. And that we... Some women aren't given a lot of depth or things to do. But we do check in with women occasionally, particularly Maggie, but a few others as well who mm. do talk about sort of their position in the world and men, how men orbit that position in their world, mm-hmm. how they see men yeah. in that world as well, which I think is important too. It's also like looking at how a lot of the women don't have depth because the characters we have, we're looking at the world through their perspective. Yes. They don't give women a lot of depth, particularly Marty. They, he doesn't consider depth there. And we see like his interactions, how 
stunted they are. Yes. We see how it affects him. While, yes, it's great to show how toxic masculinity affects women, that's a really important story yep. to tell, that's not necessarily this story. This yes. is how toxic masculinity affects the men. Yeah, it's an interesting thing where we've definitely had... There's always an interesting discussion about this. There have been... We've been saturated with men's stories for such a long time mm. that I totally understand if people don't really want to, but want to see more female stories or stories from people who have been underrepresented mm-hmm. in their media. Totally get that. But... If you do have room in sort of your, um, in what you want to watch for stories that's still about men, this is a really good one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, doesn't it doesn't have a lot of other perspective necessarily, but it's a great storytelling yeah. for what it's trying to do. And it's not kind to them. It's no, not. It's no, not these kind are not to, heroes. Yeah. These are these are complex. These are dirty, pitiful, dark, sad, angry men. Fucked up people, mm. and they're not being made out to be heroes. You're not going to walk away from this thinking maybe- I wish they were my dad. Yeah, potentially no, no, thinking no. that they are the heroes of their story. Mm. Um, there, yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot more to it than that. Mm. Uh, if I had some criticisms is that this season, it, there's a bit in the middle that feels a little bit unnecessary or bloated. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels a little bit padded out, almost like you could completely remove that episode from the season. It wouldn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But overall, I love the pacing of this season. It's slow, twisting intrigue, and the non-linear narrative does a great job of keeping a few tasty treats just out of reach to pull you through this morbid tale. Also worth mentioning is the opening titles, which have since been copied and parodied to death, but work great today all the same. I never skipped them once while I was watching the show. I mean, these titles copied and parodied True Blood. Like, well, that's straight I, up. That's exactly what. So Steph was watching it. My girlfriend mm. was watching it with me for the first time. She said that, and I haven't watched True Blood, so I don't know that. Yeah, it's but like even the song. You're like, there man. You <laughs> so there you go. So what do I know? Uh, but I love this season. It's a notable inclusion in this era of peak TV, and one that was at risk of being forgotten because season two, which we'll talk about in the future, mm. was not received as well as this one. No. But um, I'm really happy to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Today. Uh, final score for you, Damask. Out of five stars, what would you give this? I think I'm probably going to give it a five. Like, it's a pretty perfect season of television. Mm. I was going to give it a 4.5 for a long time because of the lack of female representation. Sure. But then I thought about it, I was like, mm, well, that's part, I think it's part of it. And I, yeah. And sure, I always want like really dynamic, interesting female characters in everything I watch. But that's not what the story is. I don't think it takes away from the story. I actually think it kind of adds to the story. And it's fucking great. Like I don't it's hard for it's it's not perfect, but it's fucking great. It is a great season of television. So therefore I give it five. Oh, I'm so close. Like masterful. Like yeah, this season yeah, it it, it's is. masterful. That, that's what we've sort of said five stars is. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna join you. It's five stars. <laughs> let's give it let's give it five. I was seeing somewhere between four point five and five. I'm gonna give it five as well. It is there is it's definitely not perfect. There are some criticisms. Mm. But like, yeah, watching this again the second time through, I was like, I enjoyed this as much, if not more, than the first time. Mm-hmm. And I can happily see myself watching this again at some stage yeah. down the line. Because it is again the thing that's great about it too, it's self-contained. Like at mm-hmm. the end of these eight episodes, that's it. Story's done. Yeah. Um and you're not looking forward to anything else, doesn't rely on anything else. You, that's it's done. Yeah, yeah, five stars. I agree. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of True Detective. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of True Detective up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. In 1995, two homicide detectives are called to the scene of a crime that can only be described as Coachella gone very, very wrong. A woman wears a crown of antlers with strange symbols drawn all over her body. Bound twigs are scattered about like it's a Stevie Nicks concert. This then is linked to a child who claimed to have been chased by one of the bark trolls from NeverEnding Story 3. Rust, the philosopher, and every teenage girl's dream, am I right, finds another Stevie Nicks tribute in the little girl's playhouse, while Marty is hitting on every buxom woman within a 10k radius, the fucking dog. The two fellas are pretty different, so in order to bond, Marty invites Rust to have dinner with his family on the insistence of his wife Maggie. It's kind of a bummer since it's Rust's dead daughter's birthday, not great dinner conversation, but Maggie seems to dig this aloof and deep new guy on the scene. While the guys are figuring out the who of this whodunit, Reverend Billy Lee Turtle comes around to tell them that he wants to set up a pro-Christian task force. Who doesn't love one of those? They're very effective and not at all evil. Rust is naturally sceptical because A, he thinks religion is stupid, and B, religion is stupid. Rust and Marty find out that the deceased woman was a sex worker, which takes them to a bunny ranch at a remote trailer park. They find out that the woman, whose name is Dora Lang, recently found God. Amen. And her diary is filled with references to the Yellow King and Carcosa. The only diary I ever had was in high school, and it was filled with pages and pages of me wondering why Broad didn't love me. We have a rich history. <laughs> <laughs> Marty and Russ check out a revival tent that Dora had spent some time at. You'd think these people would be total creepsters, but they're actually like really lovely and helpful. They tell them that she was seen hanging out with a very tall man with scars along the bottom of his face. Rust finds an old case that was deemed an accident to actually have similarities to what happened to Dora, with a whole bunch of symbology. That victim, Rianne, went to a religious school run by Tuttle, which has now closed down. Then they play a game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon and find out that Dora's ex-husband was a cellmate with Rianne's boyfriend, Regula Du. It's a small world. Or, you know, a murderous conspiracy. 
Then Rust has to go undercover with a bikey gang because Ledoux is a big meth cooker these days. In order to get the information, he has to do a little heist job, but that goes wrong. So instead, he just kidnaps a guy called Ginger to make him to Ledoux's meth cooking partner. But the partner doesn't trust Rust, so Marty follows him to their hideout. They stake out the place and then decide to be heroes. They enter the house and arrest Ledoux, and then Marty walks through the property to scope it out. He finds a couple of kids, one of which is dead. They have been beyond traumatized. Marty doesn't like this, and so in a fit of rage, which isn't rare for him, he shoots Ledoux in the head. Then Rust has to shoot the meth cooking partner and cover up the crime. Good lord, what a journey. And I don't even think we're halfway through. Here we go. The two detectives get commendations and everyone figures that the murders have been solved. Yay! Everyone is living their best lives, but Rust can't seem to shake the idea that there was more to the killings. Most likely linked to Tuttle and his powerful governor cousin. But no one wants to hear it. He eventually gets himself suspended. While he's experiencing that low, Marty is once again cheating on his wife because he is a fucking child filled with impotent rage which he can only alleviate when he is fucking younger women or calling them sluts and whores. Anyway, Maggie finds out and in order to get rid of him once and for all, she decides to fuck Rust. That'll teach him. And I'll be honest, when Maggie tells him what she's done, I clapped. I clapped very hard because fuck you. The guys fight because that's what they do to deal with the situation. Rust quits the force for good and heads to Alaska. Eventually, Marty does leave too and becomes a private investigator. In 2010, Rust comes back to Louisiana. And then not long after that, Reverend Tuttle kills himself. And then a similar murder to the original occurs. This raises a few eyebrows and the two former crime fighters are now on the other side of an investigation. Marty and particularly Rust are interviewed about what happened during the original investigation. The detectives aren't satisfied with what they uncover and Rust is still a suspect. Rust reaches out to Marty asking for his help but also saying that they both owe a debt. Rust never let go of the case you see and he is determined to take down everyone involved. Marty calls him crazy pants, that is, until Rust shows him a disturbing video of a child being tortured and sacrificed much like Dora. They team up to uncover a conspiracy. They actually uncover that Tuttle was a part of a family, not unlike the Kardashians, in which there seems to be hundreds of offspring. The man with the scar turns out to be the illegitimate son slash brother slash nephew slash something of a sheriff that covered up a bunch of crimes. And he's also Reverend Tuttle's half-brother's son and Senator Tuttle's cousin's son. I think that's right. This family is fucked and also just straight up fucking. Ooh, yeah. They have another look at the case of the bark troll that the little girl spoke about in the 90s and Marty figures out that he had green ears because he was painting a neighbourhood house. They then trace down some tax records to find out who was paid for the job and voila, we have our scarred man. Errol Childress. They visit the family home. Oh, hey, Anne Dowd. I love you, but you make me sick in this show. Well done. Russ chases down Errol through a Guillermo del Toro nightmare. He gets a good old-fashioned stabby-stabby to the gut. Rust headbutts the giant a couple of times, but he is not looking good, let me tell you. Marty makes a quick phone call to the next-gen detectives on the case before fending off the giant. He does cop an axe to the chest, ouchie. Errol is just about to crush his head into some lovely wine, Lucille Ball style, but Rust manages to shoot him in the head despite having a knife in his gut. That's love, man. 
The two fellas black out just as help arrives. They live! Marty finally explodes in vulnerability in front of his family, thank fucking Christ, and Rust realises that both life and death have a whole lot more light and love than he realised. Oh, we made it all the way to the end. Well done, everyone. Cheers. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Yeah, what happens in that show? Yes, it does. But what's amazing is that considering all that, and it can get confusing when there's a million different titles and stuff like that and Mm. trying to like connect all the dots, you don't feel lost in terms Mm -mm. of of what's happening, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like you might not get all the details 100%, but you... But you know where you are. You know where you are and you understand what they're doing. And, yeah, I mean, how many different interviews do they have with someone on the bayou? Like, there's a thousand of them. (laughs) On the bayou. But you understand, Mm. yeah, where they're at. And even, like, I quite like um, the monotony of the investigation at times. Like, Mm. there's a bit in the... uh, Marty does this thing where he, like, tracks down the address of Errol via tax stuff from mm-hmm. when they were doing like odd jobs you know yeah. back in the day and it's like that is a boring ass thing to be doing <laughs> but it's legitimately how mm. you would do this sort of investigation and figure stuff out like that which i, I don't know I yeah think but even when they were doing that i was like oh i remember like call back to a scene whether it was that episode or the episode before where marty is literally just listing the website he is still subscribed to yeah and then it's like, like i was like like, such boring stuff, but it's all interesting because at that point, we are so invested in these characters. Absolutely. Uh, Lo, okay, there's a lot of things to talk about here. I want to start just by talking about the non-linear storytelling. What I think mm. is early on is the real hook of this show. The thing mm-hmm. that gets you in early is not necessarily the the way the murder took place. That can often be intriguing, but, you know, someone gets murdered left and sort of a, in sort of a tableau is not a new thing at all. Mm-hmm. But the way that they sort of present this story with... Rust and Marty being interviewed by these two other detectives. And I think at first actually starts through like it's like videoing the screen on the camera. So it's like this low res thing. Mm. It pulls out later to sort of put you in the room rather than sort of looking at this recording. Um, But that sort of back and forth where these two are retelling the investigation and what was going on back in 95 is a really great hook Mm -hmm. and works to... Make you start asking questions about like why they're talking about this now, when they start mentioning things like the shootout or like what you really want to know about is this. Well, it's like, interesting watching it the second time round is yeah. like they casually mention things that happen in in the past, but yes. what we'll see in the future Correct. as an audience member. Like it's like, oh, I suppose you want to hear about like when we carry the kids out and all this stuff and like as a viewer for the first time around, didn't really pick up on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I was like, oh, I know that they're referencing something's going to happen in like five episodes time or yeah. whatever, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I think the show was great on the rewatch. But I also love that, yeah, like you said, it is a, that method of storytelling is an immediate hook. There's so much mystery around it. Yeah. And even like just at the end of that first episode where, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's Rust who's like just sm- fuck, he's smoking down that cigarette. Um, so like, much smoking done yeah. by McConaughey in this series. Yeah. And just he's like at the end, he's like, oh, so like obviously a new murder's taking place. Like how did that happen if we caught the guy in 95 and just sucks on his cigarette? And it's like, oh, when's the next episode coming out? You know, now we get the pleasure of binging it. But yeah, fuck, it was, God, it got you in there really quickly. And eventually we get to a point where we catch up with the present and like we lose that hook. But the whole, as they go through it, they have mm. fun with it too. I love my least favorite episode 
we'll talk about eventually. But basically, that episode, they don't talk about that part in the interview. They're both saying that something that nothing was Oh, the was diversion happening. from what yeah. actually happened. And like Marty's saying, oh, yeah, Russ took some family leave. And Russ saying, yeah, I went and visited my dad. Mm-hmm. And like, they have nothing to add to that part of yeah. that conversation. <laughs> so, they're not... We, we spend very little time in that interview room then. And then... One of my all-time favorite bits is when they're retelling their yeah. very manicured and rehearsed <laughs> version of the shootout mm. that took place, which they've obviously told a thousand times yeah. and have and, got and that perfectly manicured. And we see those manicured. different iterations of like one in the 2012 version where they're talking to the, the cops investigating yep. them, the 1995 version of when they're in front of like some sort of tribunal. Yep. And then also we watch them what's actually happening in oh. real life and all those like three different versions like that's when like we've already hooked we love the way that they're telling that story and then to change it in that way is so cool so so cool but it also helps you go oh well yes they're narrating it we can trust their narration because not actually dictating what we're seeing in the past it just happens to be what they're telling is the truth and matching up this also goes into this is the episode where the sort of a turn takes place mm. when we start to understand What's happening in 2012, mm, and why the they're being yeah. why they're being investigated or, or or interviewed? Maybe is a better mm. way of putting it at this time. And mm-hmm. so to see them, you know, that their their interview not matching up with the reality of the story, mm-hmm. in, instantly starts to sort of make you disconnect those two things. Mm. These are not happening simultaneously; they are happening separately, and there's a reason that they are yeah. different. And it just like adds another layer of. Um, curiosity on our on our behalf because we understand that in the past these two detectives didn't really like each other very much mm-hmm. but they worked well together we see them you know cover up this crime a little bit yeah. but then we can also tell in the future or the present however you want to look at it they are completely separate yeah. and so there's this big gap and so that's another mystery that has nothing to do with the crime that we really want to know about because we care about the characters there are a lot there's other things like that as well later mm. on we get Maggie gets interviewed as well and mm. there's like they find a third position just be in that room which is just funny in its own way <laughs> but also earlier on we've seen um, Marty talking about I think he talks about how important family is at one stage mm. and then for the first time he's ring. playing with his finger and you like yeah. realise that the ring's gone mm-hmm. and that you're like well we know that they are going to split up at yeah. some stage um, and so there's little things that make you anticipate what's mm-hmm. going to come up I don't know I think it's it's like Noir has been doing the narr- narration voiceover thing for a long time but to find a different way to play with that uh, and not just be an unreliable narrator or whatever it might be, mm. just to to contextualise it differently. Yeah. It's really, really good hook. But also what's the great hook there is that we are actually being narrated for a large part of this season from a perspective of the characters before the real transformation in them yes. has happened. So this is halfway through their story. So we see Marty talking about family and stuff and he's still in that place of like denial of still like having this patriarchal view of himself and like his family's position and all that and just still talking out his ass when really his life has fucking fallen apart and obviously we have rust who is like severely depressed drinking heavily total like isolationist and stuff and just like focused on this one thing because he just wants to hurry up and kill himself already so let's tie up his loose ends yeah so like let's get it done so we're like coming from that place of sadness. And so we see so much of them in that space and we see how their um, history is informing how they are 
in 2012, like mm. in the interview section, and then we get to watch them grow that little bit further to get where they actually need to be, which is really cool. The There's a lot of episodes that – or three or four of eight episodes, that is a lot – that could have been my favourite episode because mm. they hit these really great narrative moments. Mm. When they've done with the interview and Marty's driving away and Russ pulls him up and we understand how bad their sort of – breakup was essentially mm-hmm. like a better word and so the tension that's in that moment because you understand the emotion that's in that mm-hmm. and you see marty like with the gun and even i love the shot i love the shot of the busted uh tail light mm-hmm. and i think they've someone said earlier back when they were showing the 2002 2002 stuff um after they've had the fight in the car park and mm-hmm. their boss says to marty are you really, you two really fucked each other up? Um, which is just, a, that is, a truer thing has never been said. Mm. But then to see that that damage is still there, you know? Yeah. That wound has not healed. Mm-hmm. That I, Little things like that I love. Um, there's, there's a shots later on you're talking about, you know, the, the difference between how Marty talks about family versus the reality of the situation. When we see him eating that TV dinner in his house that somewhat resembles what Marty's house was like during mm-hmm. 2004. Um, yeah. sorry, not nine ninety five, and like that place is that's a, such a low moment for yeah. Marty. And like, yeah, when Marty like first starts talking about Russ in the interview, he's like, you know, I really felt bad for the guy because yeah. I went to his house and stuff. And yeah, it's really interesting to see Marty in that position. And then it's interesting as well that it's pretty consistent of Russ to just be living on his own, mm-hmm. drinking, all that sort of stuff. But again, there's a, there's a twin shot with Marty eating his TV dinner of. Rust just drinking by himself, looking out in the water, whatever it is. Uh, he's, yeah. They, they're really, really great characters and so mm. well fleshed out there's, in the show. There's so much there. I think I find, as much as like Marty's a fucking dickhead, I, I find him really interesting. Really interesting. Because he has like this side of him which is like, Family man, Christian man, has these like ideas about life, wants to make the world a better place. And then on the other side, he's this philandering, lying, cheating, angry, abusive alcoholic. And I think I really saw like the the light, the darkness a bit more in him this time round. I definitely did as well. Um, which is, yeah, really, really interesting. And to see like I saw a lot more of his anger in moments that weren't overt than definitely. I did the first time around. I think because I knew – what his character was from the very beginning. Yeah. And so you go back and you see like just he, and he does this thing where he like pinches his like mouth pers- tight yeah. and he breathes heavily through his nose and yep. it, it's it is this really impotent anger and mm-hmm. he has he has a real problem expressing it um in a healthy way until he gets drunk and then he explodes. Like he flies into rages very easily. Um but that but we see you know from the very beginning, that anger is always there. It is. It's ever present. And mm-hmm. it was only the second time through that I really recognized it. Mm. Speaks to why we should watch things more than once. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I think because so. Because the first time through, I definitely, as I said in my spoiler-free review section, I definitely was more interested in the Cole side of things because he's just a little bit more mysterious and mm-hmm. enigmatic and those sorts of things. There's something yeah. about that. that There's a lot of gravity in that he performance draws that draws you in, you in right? Mm. And Marty isn't like that. But, but this time through, as you said, seeing him 
holding in that anger. You see the way he purses his lips and mm-hmm. he breathes through his nose. And it happens so frequently. Yeah. Anytime he loses control, anytime there's a lack, mm-hmm. there's some frustration there, anytime he, that is his first reaction is to just have this rage built up in mm-hmm. front of him, inside him. Yeah. And, and it just speaks to like this man completely unable to deal with the world changing around him. Yeah. And he needs to be in control all the time. And we see, I believe, in the first episode when he's talking about his dad or something yeah, and saying that, you know, mentions it. this is, you know, men just didn't have to talk about their shit. Back in the day, men didn't air their bullshit to the world is how yeah. he puts it. It's yeah. like and that's what is, he learnt to do. Yeah. And then like, so he has like this idealised version of his dad's experience, the way his dad went through the world. Mm-hmm. And through Marty, we actually have a look at that up close and not airing your bullshit fucking festers from the inside and it just pours out and poisons everything around you. Um, it's Maggie's dad that has a similar sort of discussion about sort of how the world has changed. He mm. says things were better with more dignity before people were out in the street yelling about their rights. So, again, mm. it was that idea that you just kept your bullshit to yourself mm-hmm. and you didn't express it outwardly. Yeah. Um, and that that's, that's just the way that the world was meant to work. They mm. both sort of live in that paradigm. They don't get along those two, but they mm. have they agree with that paradigm that you just sort of keep that shit to yourself. Yeah. And it's so interesting that Marty comes up like kind of against that when Maggie's dad is saying that, mm-hmm. but can't recognise that he is doing the exact same thing to his kids and treats his wife terribly because he's, you know, he's the boss of the family and all that bullshit. Yeah, because that's that's ultimately the most interesting thing about Marty is his relationship with women because there are he is surrounded by women in his life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He has his wife, Maggie, obviously, and then he has his two daughters. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking this time around, I wonder what Marty would be like if he had a son, you mm. know? Someone who he related to differently that he could unfortunately pass on the sort of same things that his dad did to him onto another guy. Thank God he doesn't have a son mm. to pass that sort of um those yeah that that stuff onto. Um and so yeah his relationship with the, his mistresses mistresses the way he uh, there it's the prostitute in the bayou who tells him that about like the problem with men thinking they own women. It's like yeah. you don't have a problem yeah. with women when you can get it for free, but the idea that they sell it for, yeah. you know. Suddenly it doesn't belong to doesn't you. doesn't belong to you. The way you thought it did. And you mm. see the way he gets so upset, becomes this angsty teenager mm-hmm. as Maggie calls him a kid, like a um, all sorts of things like this throughout the show. Mm. When I love I, that line, by the way. I'm like, fuck yeah, sex worker. Nailed it. Totally. And, <laughs> and one of the examples where I was saying where there's not, we don't spend much time with this character, but they get to, you know, present that idea mm-hmm. for, let's not pretend this doesn't exist. These women have opinions about their position in the world and, and men's position in the world. Yeah. And that stuff is there. It's just not the central focus, mm-hmm. but I think it's there. And I don't, I think we shouldn't overlook that. Yeah. Uh, I also like, there are a few scenes that, yeah, I, I, hated but in like but loved was like not this isn't part of this part, the part that i like but when um his mistress oh, i fucking hate that word is um girlfriend girlfriend is going out and sleeping with the guy and brings him home or whatever and he this like he, ra- he rages and shit and then bring takes out his badge and he's just like so full of like anger and he's like yeah fuck you you can't do anything kind of just bullshit and then what i love is like when he then goes to the hospital and he's berating maggie and that doctor, doctor. sees what's happening and he's like he's like you know i'm state police he's like 
I understand that, but are you here in that capacity? And I was like, fuck yes, yep. thank you. And then you just see like all the people in Maggie's life who actually care about her just like, like fuck off, which is great. And then Ross, Ross shows up and pulls him away and Takes stuff as well. Off, yeah. um, there is another moment like that as well when Audrey has been uh, police have found her in the car with the two guys <sighs> mm. and then... I wonder why she wants the attention from men in that way. Older men specifically. Yeah, I wonder why. Anyway, he uh, then goes to the lockup mm. and beats up these guys. But what I found interesting about that scene as well is those two guys, their first response they see Marty is, we didn't know her dad was a cop. We didn't mean disrespect. And it's like, this was never about... Audrey to it was never about her the person to the boys or to Marty. It was about like again their control. Yeah, it's like it was about their this place is something the that belongs to me. Yes. How dare you fucking to like I I mow my own lawn. How dare you fucking come here and mow my own lawn? Like this I mean, is mine. He saw the writing on the wall. They were vibing real good. Like Rust, Rust I mean, and who Maggie. The fuck wouldn't be vibing with Rust. <laughs> he he's not an idiot. He yeah, saw there was but, there was sparks flying there. But uh, Rust would never have done that. In that <laughs> no, well. Capacity. No. I, I, no, not where he is there in that sure, part of the sure, story. Sure, sure. But yeah, it just comes down to Marty's like, these things are mine. But also like it's it shows how like entrenched these ideas are that the boys are like, oh, we didn't know that, you know, she was a cop's daughter. I didn't mean any disrespect. I'm like, how about just like respecting her, yeah. whether her yeah. dad is a cop or not? Like it's, it's already in them. They already have those ideas that yep. they only need to be sorry about taking advantage of someone or a young woman because of who her dad is, because of this is the really like what a lot of what happens in this story hinges on is that unless a woman is connected to a powerful man, yep. ain't nobody giving a shit. Yep, hundred mm. percent. Just just while we're talking about Marty mm. and um, and Rust, when Rust does go to dinner in that first mm. or second episode, and I, I love speaking of Marty's like impotent rage when. He set up this whole thing. It's like, don't worry, just come in for five minutes. We'll get a page. I'll get what's his name to call and we'll get it called out again and you can go. It's like, get him off the hook. Get out of my house. And then Russ says, no, I think I'll stay. And just mm. the like anger mm-hmm. because he doesn't have control again. Yeah. Just that moment of just like, <laughs> you know, things didn't go the way that he had planned, envisioned it was going to. And all of a sudden mm. he's sticking around. I, it's It's all there so early on. Yeah. And I just love, like, obviously this season as a whole is about monsters and masculinity and all those things. And I love the way this show kind of fuses them together. And, I, you know, the the big bad at the end of this season is defeated. We have that satisfaction. But there there is that other thing that you have to look at, which is the misogyny. Like, that's the monster that runs through most scenes. And, you know, Errol is defeated but, like, we remember that in that video that they find, there's a bunch of men there. And it was also supported by a police force. Yep. Another group of men who... The system supports Yeah, it. don't care about women and children, um, like I said before, unless they're attached to powerful men. And so I think it just shows, like, the fact that they don't get everyone, the fact that marty and rust aren't complete humans now like that intrinsic kind of misogyny patriarchal bullshit is still there like the monster is still there while there's light and it's and it's winning and it's gaining ground and it's you know there is hope there it's it's still there it's still there they yeah deliberately call that out specifically um 
it is interesting sort of where we get to at the end. Mm. Obviously, we have Marty finally fucking cry, which is just like felt like it was. Try- it- fuck, he tries real hard not to. He tries real hard not to. Cause I'm I was, fine. I'm fine. He, yeah, that was the. I was. I was just. I was so frustrated at that moment because he he had the chance and he said like I'm fine. It's like oh I will be fine. No, I'm fine. I'm like he hasn't learned. And then he cried. And I was like oh thank fuck. Mm. Just yeah. get it out finally. It was such yeah. a moment of growth for him. Mm. But it's interesting even watching how just the the maybe understanding the conspiracy as a uh, symbol of the system, the patriarchal mm. system in general. And when Marty sees that tape, right, mm. which I love that we don't have to see Thank any of that. goodness, yeah. Because it's almost more effective just mm-hmm. seeing... Marty react to it. Yeah. It's so well performed by Woody Harrelson. And mm-hmm. it's just because it's obviously awful. And whatever it was, it's only worse in your own mind thinking about it. Yeah. But like to put into context that Marty has this problem, the way he thinks of or doesn't respect or treats women. And then he sees this and he knows this is totally awful yeah. and wrong. It's the big bad. This is mm. a, a, a whole other line of evil that's bad. Mm-hmm. But- but the system that allows it to happen is the same system that yes, he's a part of. that's right. Mm-hmm. And you do feel that that maybe he understands that in that moment. That yeah. subconsciously, at least, he's yeah. able to reflect on his own behavior and mm. realize that this is all supporting this thing yeah. to happen as well. It, it reminds me of like the article that um, came out by Jill Maher's husband. Mm. Um, for those international listeners or people who don't live in Melbourne, I don't know. I think it was like well, nationwide. Probably would have been nationwide. But anyway, um, a woman was walking home one night and was uh, raped and murdered in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It was quite shocking, that stuff, though it seems to be happening more and more now. But at the time, it wasn't like a regular occurrence. Um, and so, well, At least not being reported not, as much as has been yeah. recently. Um, anyway, the the man was, was found, convicted. I think he killed himself in prison. Um, oh, did he? Yeah, I think he's that. dead now. Um, anyway, so Jill Ma's husband, who obviously was heartbroken, this awful thing happened to his wife and to him, and he wrote an article being like, you know, monsters like this man exist, mm-hmm. but that is usually not what um, misogyny and domestic violence or violence against women looks like. And he went into detail like how aspects of our misogynistic culture, our patriarchal culture create the big bad, but also, well, that's like the ultimate version of that. It's it's insidious and it's happening yes. at every level and that's what allows those things to happen, yeah. It's the system that supports it. When people talk about rape culture as mm. well, things like, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, and I'm glad I don't, but the guy who he raped this woman, it was like by a sort of outside the back of a bar or something like that. He was a college student. And oh, he was that known, yeah. He was known because he was a swimmer mm-hmm. and all the discussion was always about ruining this his swimmer and ruining his future. And it's yeah. that again, it's that system where because he had potential or because I haven't saw a tweet today about this. Um, about a footballer who'd been convicted of domestic abuse. And this guy was saying, oh, you know, obviously I'm against domestic abuse, but it sucks that this guy's going to have his, the thing that he loves taken away from him. And mm. someone was like, it's like saying that it sucks that Ivan Milat can't go bushwalking <laughs> anymore because he obviously <laughs> loved doing that. Ivan Milat's a famous serial killer yeah. in Australia, if people don't mm. know, um, of like bi- backpackers and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like- the- It'd be a real shame if Brian Singer couldn't continue to make fucking films. Exactly. Fuck that. Exactly right. Yeah. This idea that- who gives a shit? Yeah, that 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 system, that discussion where we mm. go, 
But it's a real shame that just because they made this mistake, it's going to ruin their lives, yeah. which moves the conversation away from the actual victims to mm. like trying to sympathize. And again, it's yeah. just a system which allows this to keep happening and people like that swimmer guy to mm. get convicted of a jail term for however long but get off early and like those six sorts of things. Bullshit. Oh, whatever it was. Terrible. And yeah. that is I and the, like toxic masculinity is a term that's come up so often when we've been watching shows. Mm-hmm. But this might be more than any other show that we've watched, a perfect mm-hmm. great thesis on it. Yeah. And it's like, like let's really have a look at it. Yeah. Let's see how fucked up it watch is. Watch it in our heroes. Watch that mm. their struggle. And that's the thing about this show as well. Yes, it's a murder mystery, mm-hmm. right? There's a conspiracy of serial murders going on in this. Mm-hmm. That is so uh, so less interesting than the relationship between these two men, between the women in their lives, mm-hmm. and how they interact with the world. Yeah. It is the the some of my favorite moments, and not necessarily favorite because they're enjoyable, but favorite because they say so much they about this something. character. They mean so mm. much. Are Often, Marty with women, whether mm-hmm. it's Maggie or his girlfriends or whatever it might yeah. be, the way he just keeps making the same mistakes, the way he hits his daughter, like mm. all those sorts of things. You're a fucking slut. Oh, my God. That really, every time I watch that, it shocks me when he calls her a slut. Sorry. I thought you were calling her a slut for a second. I no, just misheard no. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking slut. <laughs> That's what I thought um, you said. Oh, she I was, was like, bloody what? asking I was like, for it. Okay. No, no. We're, we're watching a different show. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. No. I when find he, that shocking it, every time. It is. It is. I'd forgotten it happened. Mm, me and too. like instantly, and it might even be something about how, I think I might, again, enjoy this a second time around, possibly because my understanding of this stuff has has evolved. gone a lot evolved over the mm. last five, six, seven years, whatever it's been yeah. since this came out. And like watching it now, I watched it with so much more clarity as to what it's saying. Mm-hmm. And I, it's it's really great stuff. And I do worry that this show may be forgotten because season two wasn't well received. Yeah. Because it shouldn't be. It's a really good story that needs to be reflected upon more. Yeah, I think it's something that should be watched over and over again. And mm. yeah, I hope perhaps like and it shouldn't have to rely on another season to kind of bring back focus to it. But I hope season three kind of does well and people remember why everyone loved True Detective so much. Because um, it, it tells a really great story and it tells it beautifully. And it's worth saying that we haven't seen season two. We haven't. I, no. So I'm fascinated to see. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen season two and I've seen nothing of season three. Yeah. And ju- but I'm fascinated to see what went so wrong with season two, mm-hmm. if it did. That could be a really Maybe. fun episode to have yeah. a look at. Um, we haven't really talked about... We've talked about Marty a lot, which I thought was going to happen because mm-hmm. I did find him so interesting this time. How did you find the character of Cole beyond the performance of Matthew McConaughey, which is very, very intriguing and, and captivating? What do you think about Cole? I really empathise mm. with Cole quite a lot, not only because he's got... or well, something terrible happened to him in his past, but because he is so severely depressed and detached from everything. Mm-hmm. He's so isolated and he not only does he not know how to connect with people, he has no desire to connect with people. Um and he just truly believes that he shouldn't. He is yeah. better off and the world is better off if he doesn't. He's come he's truly convinced himself that I just saw there's a great um video essayist on YouTube called Lessons of the Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Lessons on a screenplay, I think it is. Um, and he he talks about uh, True Detective and Seven and mm. the villains and how like and character arcs and themes. And it's he, he's amazing, and he's really he really was speaking about how Cole comes to this realization that while his daughter's dead, he is 
thankful that she done does she didn't have to experience life. Mm-hmm. And in order to come to that conclusion, to make the death of his daughter less painful, he has had to convince himself that life is a burden. And if he detaches from that thought, then he has to deal with the fact that his daughter didn't get to live and that is too much for him and that's why he's in that space. Is that a conclusion you came to on your own watching the show? Because I've never no, thought no, of it that no, way. No, no, no. This was from Lessons I on thought, a Screenplay. I, that's a fantastic Isn't way it of amazing? thinking about it. Isn't it amazing? This guy is genuinely like, watch all of his videos. He is so incredibly intelligent, insightful. articulate, insightful. He's yeah. amazing. Mm. Yeah. that really, Isn't that really can, like great? I, I totally understand how he got to where he is mm. and actually goes a long way to explain. Because the, the, no, I didn't necessarily think it was problematic, but I ne- never didn't necessarily stop stumbling over your words, Broad. Uh, fully grasp what was trying to be said in the last scene, mm. right, with mm-hmm. Marty and Cole. And sort of Marty, Marty's moment happened earlier when he sort of breaks down mm-hmm. with his family. Vulnerable with his, final, his life. Yep. Finally, you feel that catharsis there. Mm-hmm. And then you have the moment where he goes to visit Cole and like that in itself is sort of like meaningful that Cole seems to be sitting there by himself. But no, Marty's going to come visit him. Yeah, Marty is his friend. But then they go out and they're having a smoke and they're and Ma- and Cole is explaining this near death experience he had mm-hmm. when he touched the darkness and he's been ready for a long time to go to go. He's mm. literally here because of their debt, as he puts it, which I love that concept too. I love where they sit down off track for a second when they sit down that bar and he's explaining to Marty sort of what he's doing and why, and he's like, "Why are you coming to me for this?" And he's like, "Because you have a debt." Mm-hmm. And this time around, that debt was so much more clear when you think about just that impulsive moment when Marty shoots yeah. Madhu in the head and that case is fucked immediately. Yeah. Like, they thought they got their guys purely out of not being able to know any different. Mm-hmm. And if they kept them alive and actually been able to interrogate Marty, them... you know, didn't have a huge well of fucking rage right beneath the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, they have let who knows how many murders take place mm. since then. And they do have a debt to pay. Yeah. Because they could have been the ones to stop this earlier. Um. Anyway, yeah, he's... Going back to, to Cole. Yes, he's been ready to get tie up this loose end, pay his debt, and then he's ready to shuffle off the mortal coil, basically. Mm-hmm. And he sort of has this near-death experience and just talks about this guy who is so detached from the idea of, like, humanity's um, experience of the world, the stories we tell ourselves to give ourselves meaning, to make ourselves feel special, Mm. that religion is nothing but a cancer and all those sorts of things. And I'm not a religious person by any means. I don't think you are either, really. Mm -mm. But for him to have this moment and to feel something and to feel connection, connection to mm. feel love again, even just this echo of his former wife and his daughter and mm-hmm. his dad, even he mentions in that yeah. time and to see him break down and sort of struggle with that moment. When you put into context, why he has taken up this mm. position, why he has taken up pessimist, kind this of pessimist nihilism, yep. decide to detach himself from humanity or mm. the experience of humanity and just sort of look at things in such a cold, stark, sort of nihilistic way, mm. that ma- that moment all of a sudden <laughs> rings so much clearer to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've just looked it up. It's Please go. Lessons from the Screenplay. Uh, the YouTube video is called True Detective versus Seven, Creating Light Amongst the Dark. And we'll put it in the show notes because yeah. it really is great. And then we have that final 
the word, the final moment where Marty's like, you were telling me once upon a time that when you were in Alaska, you used to look up at the stars, you didn't have TV or anything to watch. Mm. It's an interesting little detail. And you would just make up stories. And then Marty's like, well, really, looking out this window today, I've realized it's only just one big story. And Marty's saying, well, looking at the sky, it looks to me like darkness is winning. And then Russ you're looking says, at it wrong. What, you're looking at it wrong. Once there was only dark, if you ask me, the light's winning. Mm-hmm. So... Do you, beyond him having an, an optimistic thought for the first time ever mm-hmm. that we've seen of him anyway, do you read anything else specifically into that? Is there anything else there that I'm missing? No, I thought it was just um, seeing his – an example of seeing his perspective shift. Shift, yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. how I read it, yeah. And the hope that's in that, that mm-hmm. just like tiny glimmer yeah. in the darkness that there is hope out there. Yes, there is more darkness yeah. out there, obviously, but we got our guy – you know, and there mm. is hope that things can improve and that maybe time isn't a flat circle. Maybe things don't just repeat as much as it seems like it's just going to continue to be the same way forever. Yeah, there, there is... Light has come out of darkness. It's literally a glimmer of hope like, in, this, in, this, in the sky, yeah. Man, this is a good show. Mm. I love this show. It's great. I got one more sort of quote, something mm. that's said in here that I just want your perspective on because I think this is an interesting thesis and maybe it's more about learning how this isn't quite true by the end of it but the thesis is i think uh, i think marty asks if if he thinks we're bad men and marty uh, and and cole is like yeah i know we're bad men um but we protect them from other bad the men the world needs bad men we keep the other bad men from the door now how do you feel about that as an idea is that more of a thesis on where these guys need to grow from they need to realise they don't need to be bad men to be protecting the world from bad men? Or is there truth in what they're saying? I, I don't think there's truth in that statement. Yeah. I think it's um, their perspective. is like Marty has convinced himself himself that he's a, a good guy and that so he doesn't change his behaviour. And so he makes excuses for his behaviour in the fact that he's like, oh, the reason I cheat on my wife is actually for the health of my marriage. He like, is that. so convinced in the bullshit he talks. Yeah. Um, and like I said earlier, Rust has this idea of like, you know, he needs to be this like shut off version of a bad man just mm-hmm. to kind of like do his job, get through life or whatever. And I, yeah, and I do all the bad things, do the do things that Do all the no bad things. Do, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, it's like everything else that they are telling themselves is just a narrative, an incorrect narrative that allows them to function in a comfortable way that is comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. But that's not where they need to be. That's not where they end up. So I don't believe it's truth. Yeah, yeah. great. And it was that comes up quite early, that quote. Mm-hmm. And I, I immediately took that and was like, I need to shake this quote out later yeah. and see how it applies towards the end. I think on the first reading of this show, I think you can think that it is truth. That this I is- think the more that you look at this show and what's, what it's actually saying, that rings... More, more and more false every time. Agreed. Yeah. And I think I maybe did think that. I thought this I was like... I did as well, yeah. At first, I may have looked at this and gone, oh, this is an interesting story about, as you said, anti-heroes mm. and maybe... Grey men or whatever. Like, not completely like dark, evil men, but men in the middle who kind of have to do the dirty work and blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. And maybe even not necessarily saying celebrating these people, mm-hmm. but saying, well, there's a story here and that makes them complex and interesting. No. There is a... There is a bigger thesis here about mm-hmm. how these men have got this wrong. Yeah. Both of them, as you said, yep. have these false narratives. Let's look at the damage yeah. <laughs> and let's really look at it. And the damage is important. And the damage keeps being talked about, especially towards the end of the season, as we said, with the the tail light is a good symbolism for that. Mm-hmm. You guys fucked each other up real good sort of stuff. Yeah. One last thing before we move on. 
I just wanted to sort of ask how you felt about the characterization of Errol Childress. I feel like we could talk about the case and stuff like that if we wanted to, though. I, As interesting as that can be mm. to follow those, like, threads, mm-hmm. that stuff is pretty self-explanatory just by watching the show. It is interesting we only get to meet our killer in the last episode, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. a little bit of the second last episode. His characterization as being this incestuous, sort of very gross, violent person, totally crazed. Um, and then there's this Don't bit- think he's totally crazed, though. Well, I don't know. He's talking to his dead dad or grandpa or whatever it is that on the bed and telling him he's going to, like, hose him. I don't know. There's, like, there's he's he's a disturbed man. He's at the disturbed, very least. Maybe that's yeah. a better word, yeah. better word for it. But then we get these bits of him watching TV and then mm. putting on these, like, English and Irish accents and yeah. stuff like that. How do you feel about, like, what is- What's the idea around this character and how he's characterised, do you think? Well, I see him as the end result of bad men thinking that it's okay to be bad. And this is like, this is the ultimate where it ends. Mm -hmm. This is a man who has been taught the toxic, most toxic, toxic way of being this masculine sexual force from his father, from his father's father, blah, blah, blah. It is like the line that goes down the family of being toxic. Mm -hmm. And this is the end result, which is someone who is purely full of rage, no sense of empathy, sexually aggressive to say the fucking least. Mm -hmm. This is the end result. This is like the darkest of the dark. This is like the big bad, I guess. Um, So I'm I'm glad we keep him to the end because I think if we spent any more time with him, he would be a caricature of a villain type of thing. That's sort of my worry Mm. is the way they've got him when they're doing, he's doing his accents thing. It does seem a bit cartoonish and I'm not really sure what I'm learning about this guy, Mm. what you're trying to tell me about him when he's doing his impersonations and stuff like that. I think like I I got from that that he isn't because we have Anne Dowd's character who is clearly uh, mentally disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that he isn't while he's, he's quite intelligent. Yeah, he's dark and way. evil. There is intelligence there, and he's even like uh, philosophizing. Is that yes. a word? Um, yep. Talking about you know an, an ascension and how he actually like references like the the flat disc of time or whatever. Um, having an ascension from that, leaving that. So, like, that's, like, another flip side of Cole that we have. We see in him, we see him as, like, this patriarch with this sister love-up thing mm-hmm. that we have of Marty. Um, yeah, no, I, I find him fascinating, but I don't want to spend a lot of time with him. And well, also, like, it's good just to ha- that he's really scary. Yes. He's incredibly scary. Yeah, and he's hard to understand or get like Mm. it's hard to empathize or see anything human about him yeah which which i I think is important he's the like the loss of humanity sure when you absolutely shut yourself off from like connecting with people and have only been you know filtrated down in from very angry misogynistic disgusting people this is what you get how about just the way that like religious or like a cult mm. iconography and stuff is used in this? The idea of Carcosa, of the devil nets, of the yellow king, and that sort of like demonic uh, element that's in there as well. The thing that's supernatural, which is never, 
there's never any explicitness to that. Mm. The closest we get to anything supernatural is just Cole has sees things. Hallucinations, yeah. And they explicitly Mm. state every time, they even set one up that when he does see the big sort of spiral in the Mm. sky in in Carcosa, that he they set up on the way there that he's still seeing things. Like, don't pretend for a second this is, he's he's (laughs) attuned to anything here. He is just having a moment. Yeah. Um... But do you, is there anything to that as well that you find particularly intriguing? Or is it, I, I ultimately see it as more flavor. It just makes yeah, it mysterious. Yeah, I, I think more it's than- an homage like Southern Gothic stories yeah. and literature. I also think while, because Rust is constantly talking about how people are feeding themselves delusions mm-hmm. and that are flying the face of science they get in a room and they just like encourage each other's delusions Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing so i think it's like a critical look at religion while simultaneously understanding that there are elements that we don't understand should we encourage each other's grand delusions that lead to like persecution of others Uh, probably not but there is that element and that's okay and you don't have to understand everything um I think there's a bit of a Lovecraftian element in there as well. I'm not sure, but I think the Yellow King, Carcosa, might mm-hmm. be sort of from that sort of um, genre of writing or... Uh, it's writing like well. a sh- collection of short horror stories that the Yellow King and stuff is from. Right, yeah. okay. I'd be interested to look into I don't just don't know anything about that stuff. So, if there's something there more contextually... I think I, like, or- I read a passage and I was like, I'd rather watch True Detective. Sure. Like, it's not... It's very abstract and poetry and blah, blah, blah. I'm not a fan of poetry, We have very intelligent listeners. If anyone anyone that's listening does have an insight into some of that stuff, maybe can contextualize Mm. some of this for us. Well, Steve linked us to something. Oh, did he? I might have to look at that as well. Yeah, I looked at it and I was like, this hurts my brain. (laughs) I'll take a look at that too. But yeah, if there's anything more like that out there, they Mm. they have anything to say on that, I'd be very interested to to read it and possibly even talk about it on the show. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Any final thoughts? Any side notes, Damask? Yes. Once again, we have Healy from Orange's New Black being an asshole. Yes. There he as is. As soon as he showed up, I was like, fucking Healy. <laughs> I'll kill you. <laughs> um, and also, Anne Dowd is so good. I I didn't realize it was her in it. I had I did not realize until my girlfriend literally said, is that the woman from Handmaid's oh, really? Tale? I was like, oh my God, it is Anne Dowd. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as soon as she was on screen, I'm like, Anne Dowd. I'm like, and she... She's so fucking good. She is so she good. She is so good. When she's giggling to herself in the bathroom upstairs oh. and Marty's followed her up, I'm just like, fucking hell. Just when she's talking about, like, you haven't, like, done flowers on me. Yeah. Like, I was just like, fuck you, Ann Dowd. You are making me vomit. <laughs> I was eating dinner in that scene. <laughs> and I was eating, like, meagering noodles. And I was like, I'm going to put this down and I will vomit everywhere. <laughs> A yeah. couple of other choice um, special guests as well. Lester Freeman was in... Uh, he was the priest in the very first episode. Lester Freeman from The mm. Wire. Not the actor, the character. Oh, that's where I knew him yeah. from. Thank you. He shows up and stuff yeah. occasionally. There was something else the other day I was watching. I was like, oh, it's Lester Freeman. Mm. Um, the guy that plays Errol Childress is... Mm. He played Goran or Goran in Barry. He was one of the, like the thug guys in... Oh, yeah. Yep. And he's also Sebastian in Maniac, which I think... From memory is like the one with like the gangster stuff. I think he was involved there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, that's well, same director. Yeah, so makes sense. That's like, where that came made from. Made friends. Um, what I thought was interesting, just thinking back on this case, this has made little criticisms, mm. not necessarily a big one. I think there's an easy answer here, but it's interesting how a man with such specific scarring is so hard to find, specifically, mm. especially because he's been through these communities for his entire life. 
Obviously, they do talk about how it's easy to get lost in sort of the bayou. There's mm. so much nothing out there that ha- it's hard to track people down. But he is very like everyone who's ever come in contact He's with this guy. He's massive and got a scar on his face. Yeah, remembers him. Like even if they only saw him once one night when they were ten years old, they're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy." Yeah, and that no one seems to be able to figure out who he is is for a long time. Is well, yeah, I think that's the thing is like one, he's just like a maintenance man, and who the fuck is having a conversation with him? And they two, do suggest also, that in the last episode, like, yeah, he he doesn't. There's no record of him existing. So yeah. and even if you put and then they never put like an APB out on him or anything, do they? Uh, no, no, they, yeah. do, they don't get that far. They, they don't have like that wide scope. Yeah, they're so. PIs at that stage. Yeah. So. Uh, Munchausen's by proxy gets mentioned in here as well, which it is does. our favorite <laughs> favorite thing when it shows up in our shows. Is that what 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 else have we got it in? Uh, it was in. Oh fuck yeah! Ugh. I'm gonna bleep that out because that's obviously a spoiler for that show, and I'm not gonna say what it is anymore. Naughty boy. I also just wanted something else that came to mind as I was watching it this time. Mm. You know how Rust is like really good at con- getting confessions out of people. Mm-hmm. It did occur to me that he that might be a prime example of like coercive. Like, is he getting false confessions sometimes? He is so convincing at telling people that they need to confess, that they want to confess, mm-hmm. as he says. I think he even says, quote, everybody wants confession, especially the the guilty. Everybody is guilty, is what he says. Mm. It's like, are some of these people not guilty? And he's just <laughs> convincing them that the right thing to do is to, I mean, very to write possibly. this stuff down. Yeah. That, that worried me this time around. I was like, <laughs> Rust, you might oh, actually no. not be a shit cop here. How fucking, like... Jeez, it gets me every time when he tells that woman to go kill herself. Yeah, right? That's You should fucked. kill yourself. Oh. Like, fucking, that's dark, man. So is fucking babies in microwaves too, though. Jesus oh Christ. Oh, my I for- God. completely forgot about I, that. Yeah, didn't remember that at all. Oh. Fucking hell. That's the thing that... I mean, fair enough that he quit the force after that. That is fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. Least favourite and favourite episodes. What's your least favourite episode to mask? Mine is actually episode seven after you've gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So we didn't have the flashbacks in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um. It's when we like kidnap Healy, the cop. Yes. Um. I don't know. Like the the pace was different, and it it felt a little like a funny. It felt like a funny episode, and I was like so in the momentum, and it felt like a change that made me go, "Oh, we've stopped." Is that do you, when you say funny? Do you mean specifically humorous? Like they've actually deliberately put in lighter moments? No, or just like it's funny? I mean funny as in like strange because I was so used to the pace before, sure. and then it felt different, and I was yeah, I understand scratching what you're my head a little because bit because you don't have the framing device yeah, of the interviews, yeah. and I was like, I mean, this time around, obviously, I know what's happening, but like my brain was, which I was like, oh, what are we doing now? Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. They've got to have, instead of things that might have been said in an interview, you have to have these like really honest discussions between Marty and Cole, just sort of saying, mm. this is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. What have you been doing? I've been doing this for yeah. the last 10 years. Yeah, I kind of get that. But I, I also think- I think it's I, not a bad episode because I it's like all episode. of them. Yeah. yeah. I, I, quite, I think I understand what you're saying in terms of how it feels. Mm. I do enjoy seeing these two who had such a destructive separation mm. have to come back come together, together and yeah. like, learn to sort of be friends again. Satisfying that way. It is. And also, like, having the guy sniper his car. I'm like, yeah. well, that's fucking cool. Lucky you met a guy who was, like, a sniper. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you? My least favorite episode is episode four, Who Goes There? Mm-hmm. So, this is the episode where they don't talk about this in the interviews because they can't because they just sort of did it off the books, basically. Mm-hmm. And Rust goes undercover as a yeah. drug dealer. Big and distraction. then. 
it's t- it just feels so separated. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of what it tells us about Cole, yeah, we learn a few things about sort of his dark past and how far he can go, self-destructive things he'll do mm. for the sake of his investigation, whatever it might be. But it just can- feels like a complete waste of time. And then, yeah, it, none of nothing that happens in that episode is super relevant to any- if yeah, if totally. something happened there, which then had repercussions later on. I would understand why it exists, but as it is, you could just cut to them when they finally they get the the call in on Ledoux and then cut to them find the house. Yeah. And I would lose nothing, honestly. <laughs> That's true. Except that shot. you would lose that long shot at the end, mm. which before which everyone Daredevil were talking to about it. Like everyone was talking about that shot. It is super impressive. Mm. So this is the long shot through the projects when they've gone on this like they're doing this job or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're doing a robbery essentially. And it turns into this long, tense sort of movement through violence and the police showing up, all that sort of stuff. And it's very, very impressive the way that that's put together. But yeah, that's it's like in isolation, that's great as an episode. Yeah. Take oh, it out. Makes sense. Favorite episode. I think my favorite episode is like the, f- I like all of them, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. But I'm going to go with the first one because it's a fucking great pilot. It's a great pilot. Um, I can't fault it. Hooks you in. The framing devices used are gorgeous and Neither of us, I think, are, like, very big fans of flashback. This show is flashbacks and this is, like, they set that up. And so, if they stumble at the beginning, it's going to be real hard. In a way, it's more flash forwards. Like, the we are watching this this narrative take place in the sequence that you're meant to hear it. Yeah, that's true. But we get these flashes forward, which... Give which work as a as a narration essentially, and mm. give us some extra context as to where things are going. But ultimately, well, I you, would now you just hurting my brain. I, I think rather thought of this show as flashbacks. I would think <laughs> I would think more that it was like it would be flashbacks if we were really following them, sort of those two in 2012. We're introduced to them. Mm. Um, like meeting up again for the first time mm-hmm. and then we go back to oh, all those years ago and then we flash. But it really feels to me like... I do wish I had more <laughs> moments in it. Does, um, I don't know. I, I would. I think both. It does. It's just semantics. But I would argue it slashes forward. Well, there you go. Device. Well, either way, jumps in time, we've never been fans of. No, true. Um, but uh, the way they, they set this up is so wonderful that you just like committed to it and you, and you want to follow the mystery. And it is eerie. Perfectly like Southern Gothic. Yeah, it's great pilot. Flashes forward and back or nonlinear storytelling ends up being one of two things. Mm-hmm. It either ends up being a cool hook or it ends up being a shit crutch. And this <laughs> yeah. wasn't a crutch. It was a cool hook that just gave it a little bit of spice and flavor. That- cool hook, baby. Cool hook. Mm-hmm. Nice hook, Marty. Not- yeah. Uh, my favorite <laughs> episode is the s- episode five, The Secret Fate of All Life. Mm-hmm. So, funnily enough, the one that takes place immediately after my least favorite episode. Mm. Um, it's got that great early sequence where they find the Ladoo boys and they're giving their official retellings of what happened. Mm, that sort very, of disconnect cool. between the story they tell to their superiors versus the, what really happened. We then have the time jump to seven years later. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the in 2012, the turn as we start to understand why Rust and Marty are being questioned the current You're in day, trouble. it just has a lot going mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and a lot, some great stuff between Rust and Marty, really intrigue insight into the case, um, great stuff in Marty's personal life, and then yeah, in 2012, we're just getting so much context mm. and it, it 
it's opening the story up to us. Yes. I really like the episode. But like I said, I could have had like three or four different Any ones. of them. There's yeah. so many good episodes. I, like, I, I didn't put much thought into like favorite and least favorite just because like I loved it all. <laughs> so I was like, I'll choose that one. I'll choose that one because yeah, it's all good. We can't give any sort of predictions or anything going forward because we know that season two is a completely separate story. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts or anticipation or anything like that concerns going into season two? Um, I hate Vince Vaughn, <laughs> so I'm pretty concerned I about that. God, he was yeah. in that. He's it's, awful. Because who else is it? Colin Firth? Farrell. Farrell. I always get them mixed yeah. up. Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams. And Rachel I McAdams. love Rachel McAdams. I, and I really enjoy... I used to hate Colin Farrell. And then I saw In Bruges. Yes. Which is, and he's amazing in that. I was watching Game Night the other day. Mm-hmm. Rachel McAdams is, is a gem. She's, she's the so best. I'm I love her. S- and she's great in... Uh, I was watching Spotlight recently as well. Yeah, she's great she's in that. She's great in that too. Oh, that's a pretty mediocre movie. I still stand by that. Disagree. I love mm. that film. But... um. I think it's like a good Sunday movie, but is it Best Picture? No, of course not. It just was. It just pleased enough people. It was in that top three for enough Oscar votes is that, that the year. year I think. Was Mad Max that year? Yeah, it was either Mad Max or The Revenant. Everyone thought, and it went to the Spotlight. The Revenant was fucking shit. Yes, it was. I agree. Mad Max is way better than Spotlight. Mad Max should have won that year. Yeah, they if Black Panther wins this year, mm-hmm. that's the we wish we'd given it to Mad Max two or three years ago thing. Mm-hmm. Could be Black Panther this year. Um, but yeah, Rachel McAdams, I'm looking forward to that. I'm fascinated to watch this season. I'm fascinated to watch season two because I'm of how poorly we're I'm excited to see, like, one, whether it's as bad as everyone says. Some and people I can, defend it. And I can kind of laugh about that. Or if maybe there's, like, I find something in it and I just want to, like, do all the research and read all the reviews and just get into a rage and, like, Yeah, that fuels me. Who knows? I look forward to it. Mm. Thank you, listener, very much for getting this far into this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work come from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Uh, Find more of his work um, on Instagram and Twitter, but specifically he did a comic last week that it featured us. Which it, really nice. We were in it. Because he was on the episode. He had a mm-hmm. couple of comics uh, yeah, about recording with us. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Hull of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next week, we'll be back to discuss... Russian Doll season Ooh, one. I'm excited. This one came out kind of out of nowhere for us. I didn't have any anticipation for this show whatsoever. Yeah, it was like it- a couple of weeks ago I started seeing promos because I follow Natasha Lee on, on Twitter because yep. she's great and fucking wackadoo. Love it. Um, and and she's- apparently is 40. Don't know how that happened. Really? Yeah. yeah don't know. That is don't shocking. Know. Yeah. Wow. She looks great. Yes. Um, hmm, that, wow. Okay. <laughs> Shit. I need to see her skin person. Um, I think. No, it can't be Botox. Um, it sorry. could be Botox. I mean, it could be. I know she seems too cool for Botox, but who I knows? just sent you spiraling here. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so like, a couple of weeks ago, she started promoing and I was like, what is the show? And it looked awesome. So I'm, and everyone's talking about it. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited as well. And Amy Poehler is involved, executive producing or writing or something like that. Probably. She's fully, like, there's some really cool mm. talent involved in this. Cannot wait to talk about that. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Zoom,
good memory. Oh, you shadow falls beneath the glass of a poison ring of Beautiful. It's a great song. <laughs> I, I'm just amazed that you know all the lyrics. Oh, all of them. <laughs> all of them. Word for word. Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 